Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of Unsolicited with George D. I'm your host, your crony. Just want to welcome you back to another episode. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to episode seven, He's Not Broken, where we cover physical intimacy. I appreciate all the feedback. Want to shout out Jackie uh, for, you know, checking it out, reposting it, letting people know. Got good feedback on that episode. She referenced the touch starvation portion. So I definitely think that it prompted some other people to hit me up to be like, yo, what was going on or what you talking about? But they definitely checked it out and uh, found it a little informative. Try to really dig into Paul's uh, physical intimacy to the best of my ability um, as I was exploring and learning myself. As I said before, you know, I hope you got some from it as well, something you can take from it um, and apply to your life. Ladies and gentlemen, as we always say, you know, this is a construction zone. So this, the dialogue, the discussion, everything we talk about here comes free of your agreement, your approval, your authorization. Um, I definitely love the love. So please like, subscribe, share, tell a friend to tell a friend. Keep giving me feedback, unsolicitedwithg at gmail.com or go on the website. Um, check out the collection of all our merch. In addition to that, you could also contact me there, leave a message or let me know what you think in the feeling or anything you you want to see my opinion on or hear my opinion on rather and so forth. So I just want to thank you all again for listening. This episode is a graduation of last episode. Two things happened on last episode that we will touch on today. As I said before, this is a graduation of physical intimacy. We started off last episode uh, with Devon Franklin. Uh, it was a soundbite or a clip of a message that he was pushing out. He was referencing or telling people, women, whoever they were in that crowd, basically. Men are broken. Women aren't. When they came into this world, they were whole. God, uh, Adam was broken because it took his rib. They took a rib from him. So he was the one who was broken. And I you know, I had my little opinion on that. But outside of that, it it, it really took us in a spiritual direction because he brought religion into it. So it's only right that this episode graduates from that physical side, you know, um, into the spiritual realm to a degree. Another thing they were talking about on that episode that we talked about on that episode was cheating. And we're going to touch on that in this episode too, amongst other things. But this episode is about spiritual intimacy. So I think it's important to start where we just kind of lay the groundwork by just understanding what is a spirit. Did a little digging and research and I found or I came up with this, I got found this definition, which basically said that is that which is a source of being. And that source of being has the ability of self-awareness, reasoning and growth. Similarly, the heart is the source of feeling and the mind is the source of thinking. So just put that in context. Next, what is spiritual then? If that's what, if a spirit is a source of being that has self-awareness, reasoning, and growth. What is spiritual? Looking up, looking up, looking up, found some difficulty finding like a definition that I, that I kind of can sit with, but this is the closest I got. And it came from, from the Royal College of uh, Psychiatrists. And it defined, it is defined as involving the recognition of a feeling or a sense or belief that there is something greater than oneself. Something more to being human than sensory experiences, sight, smell, touch, taste, and greater than the whole of which one is part of in its cosmic or divine nature. I'm like, okay, cool. All right. So spiritual is kind of out of body. It's kind of different. It's divine. It's, it feels, 
is big. It's huge. It's, it feels greater than who you are, the sum of who you believe yourself to be and things of that nature. But it's recognizing that there is something greater, something bigger. Okay, we can live with that. Let's see if the rest of this kind of resonates with it. So defining spiritual intimacy, I came across a lot of these things that I put down as notes, not like one full definition of it, but everything that's involved in it. And these are the things that I kind of identified. So one is the connection between two people through shared beliefs and values. So spiritual intimacy is when two individuals have a connection because they share the same beliefs and values. Spiritual intimacy is to feel close, validated, and safe sharing of your innermost ideas and beliefs on life's purpose and your connection with the divine energies. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. Similar to the last one, emotional intelligence, emotional intimacy and physical intimacy, we always see that the highest rung always deal with the greatest level of vulnerability. So let's go further. It encompasses one's deepest core values, mission, and passion for life. It's also what occurs when a, a soul teaches another soul. Therefore, it's between bodies. So a spiritual connection is between two bodies, and it's when the soul within one is able to teach the soul within other and vice versa. That's, that's deep. That's real deep. Let's go further into that. It involves sharing mutual ideas, beliefs, etc., and receiving open and non-judgmental support to establish mutual understanding and spiritual closeness. I think that's big. You're learning the soul is teaching the other soul because you're sharing, expressing ideas, etc. But it requires one to be open and non-judgmental to the one that's sharing and vice versa. A strong spiritual intimate relationship is sometimes referred to as having a soul tie. We've heard that term before. I know I've heard it before. Probably not in a positive way. But without delving into it, just on a surface level, a soul tie is a profound spiritual connection shared between two individuals. It creates a feeling of incredible attachment. It's not to be confused with a twin flame, which is a highly intense relationship. A soul tie, on the other hand, is a deep, intimate connection that can happen with one or more individuals within a lifetime. Rather, it can happen one or more times within a lifetime. So it does have a one-to-many relationship. If you're fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to look at it, able to experience that. Next, a soul tie can be physical, such as involving a sexual chemistry. It could be emotional, such as having a, a, a great closeness and attachment. It could be mental um, in the context of being based on shared interests, intellectualism, and some deep sense of kinship. It could also be very spiritual, and that's what we're going into today, where it's about having a mutual religious or spiritual beliefs. Remember, spiritual, something greater than oneself, big, you know, divine energies, the whole nine. So some things that are important to note before we dig further into this, spiritual intimacy signifies a willingness to respect and appreciate one no matter what. It's developed through the activities done together. It does not look, feel, or experience the same due to many faiths and beliefs. So everyone has their own journey in life. Everyone believes in what they want to believe in and things of that nature. So it can't look the same in every relationship. There's a little variation, a nuance between it. So you can't judge your spiritual intimate relationship against somebody else's because the two individuals are unique and your journeys are different. Your experiences are different. So therefore, each relationship is able to have its own version of it. 
Next, it does not necessarily involve or center around religion. It does not require a matching opinions and beliefs. So that's why a Christian and a Muslim could be together. A Jewish and a Christian, a Jewish and a Muslim. Like it doesn't matter. A Buddhist, it doesn't matter. Spiritual belief, uh, opinions and belief doesn't necessarily have to match. Um, and I think this is a huge one in the midst of conflict, right? Which every relationship is going to have some form of conflict. When you're spiritually intimate with someone, you have that connection, you honor and respect each other. So what's the significance of spiritual intimacy? Why does it even matter in any relationship, right? It matters because it can bring two people closer together and give them a faith to lean on one another, which is huge. Very, very huge. We're going to get into that a little bit further. Just remember that it can give you the faith to lean on one another. It can lead to a more satisfying relationship, including marriage, and it also can lead to a stronger bond. It is said that within a marital relationship, spiritual intimacy could lead to marital satisfaction. And the religious faith has a positive relationship. So that marital relationship, in addition to that satisfaction and that religious aspect of it, it can have a positive impact on your relationship. Just kind of give a little overview of what it looks like. Because I think we say it, but I don't think we understand it um, no more than I did before I did this. Again, remember, we, we men at work here. So gentlemen, you know, take this as you can. But this is some things that you can look for as signs of, a, of spiritual intimacy. If you're looking at, if you're trying to identify, like, what is spiritual intimacy? I think for me, prior to this, I was just thinking about it in the context of my belief system, like my belief in God, like to be able to connect with somebody with our spiritual belief, you know, in God, that that, that shared belief in God, that that was a spiritual part. And I was kind of blown away about the signs of spiritual intimacy. So one is strong trust. All right, which we're going to go further into this. Remember about leaning faith to lean on one another? A sign of, a, of spiritual intimacy is strong trust. It's a shared belief encourages trust in one another. For those that believe in God, or I mean, I think in any position, it's like the whole submission thing was always a big thing. It's always a big deal. And, you know, I've heard many pastors say, like, if the man is put God first, right? Both husband and wife put God first, but that man is following God. It's easy for that woman to submit and follow him because she knows that he's following God. She's not following him who's following, who's not following anybody. She's following him because he's following God and she trusts and believes in God so she could follow him. So that allows that submission and being able to kind of fall back and let things play out. But that might explain this part, right? The shared belief encourages trust in one another. It can foster shared relationship goals and it assists with conflict resolution. Another sign is physical intimacy. Um, a shared faith or spirituality can intensify your sexual chemistry and physical intimacy. Another sign is strong emotional connections. Spiritual intimacy can lead to having a strong emotional connection. They said there are studies out there. You know, I forgot the name of one study. I could probably find a book for you. You hit me up, I'll tell you the, the source for that. But in any event, um, the studies in that source was suggesting that there's a higher level of marital satisfaction when there's a, sh- a shared spiritual spiritual or faith or faith-based connection. Next, mutual admiration, the representation or witnessing the practice of one's faith can inspire admiration, which is true. I've experienced that before too, um, where seeing how someone made God a part of their daily life. I mean, like daily devotionals in the morning at the same time, you know, or waking up in the morning and praying at four or 5 a.m. before the sun rose daily, fasting on weekly, you know, seeing someone practice their faith, even during Ramadan, seeing people 
really, really take that and, or going on the Hajj or things of that nature. It gives you like a sense of admiration. Like you can respect somebody for that. So just that practice or witnessing of it could build that mutual admiration. It could build mutual understanding, right? Another sign is mutual understanding. So the ideas and concepts related to one's spiritual life can facilitate and ease to understand one another in a relationship. A greater connection and increased attraction is possible if two have similar levels of communication and understanding. Huge. Spiritual intimacy. Another sign is shared goals. So a shared faith can um, can help with the creation of mutual goals, an important part of having a lasting supportive relationship. Remember that. So your shared goals is a part of having a meaningful and lasting supportive relationship. So this could be two individuals that have a, a value system, a belief system in, in being charitable. So they're joining a Peace Corps. They're doing things together on that kind of level like that. Those shared goals of giving back and supporting and helping could be huge um, community based things. Uh, a shared faith or religion or spiritual can contribute to having shared goals for the partnership overall. How do you want to raise your family? How you want to raise your children? Where do you. You know, maybe you want to rise up in the church or be a part of the church so your kids grow up in the church or whatever the case may be. Those are just some examples I think I can think off the top of my head. Next, spiritual intimacy. A good sign for this is also a greater ability to navigate challenges. This is huge. Um, I think this is huge because I remember several years ago, there was an individual that I dated. And this fir- this is the, the first individual that really showed me what forgiveness looks like. I think up until that moment, I was kind of fine. Like if you... You did something to wrong somebody or you, whatever, whatever. It was almost expected for to get a negative and, and, and hostile reaction. So you just kind of got used to it. Like, all right, we're going to beef and hopefully we become cool after some time. But if we don't, then so be it. And I found myself amazed at how I was humbled, actually. I'm not going to say amazed. I was humbled by their ability to not reciprocate the negative. It was able to thwart the hurt. It taught me forgiveness. That was the first place. And I mean, granted, I'm sure I've seen it and experienced it at different points in my life, but that was one of the ones that really, really, really showed me that. I mean, I've seen greater examples of it since. However, that's something I could recall in terms of it being a a first profound instance of that. But that's, again, navigating, navigating challenges. The capability to work through a crisis or a challenging situation is increased through having a shared spiritual intimacy. Faith can provide the reason and the shared goal in a relationship. So what are some causes? We understand what the signs are. We understand the significance. We kind of get an understanding of what spiritual, what is, what is the spirit and what is spiritual and things of that nature. But what are some causes of problems that are related to spiritual intimacy? Because we deal with them. So a busy life, job, or career path can affect your spiritual intimacy it can create a problem for it. Parenting. You don't want to believe it, but in the context of having a romantic relationship, there's a lot of people that once children enter, the, the relationship that once existed between that man and that woman aren't, isn't the same anymore. And it affects their spiritual intimacy. Again, values, belief systems, things of that nature. Before y'all got the baby or the babies, it was us. Then you get the children, then it's mine. People become possessive or people, you know, don't respect the other parents' opinion or decisions and their ability to, 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 to parent the way in which they see fit or finding some mutual understanding that could affect your spiritual intimacy or someone 
who's probably devout or religious or the way in which they believe, let's say maybe in terms of their beliefs, like in religion, they believe the children should be raised this way versus that way. You know, there's a lot of kids, whether it be Jehovah's Witness or whatever, somebody else might be like, you know, let them have Christmas. I'm like, nah, they can't have Christmas because we believe in this and that could create conflict. So that can affect your spiritual intimacy. Another thing could be the management of financial pressures, which is huge in this world today. We're dealing with inflation, sidebar. You know, gas has gone up and nobody's even complaining no more like it used to. Before, you know, when gas hit two fifty, then three dollars and four dollars, it was like damn near protest. Now it's like four, five dollars. No one's even talking about gas no more. You know, no one's talking about eggs. Nobody's talking about a lot of this food. And it's so funny. Um, I happened to support my man the other day. Uh, shout out DJ Double Take. Um, he hit me up randomly. I'm leaving the shop. And he's like, man, what you about to do? I'm like, well, I'm waiting on somebody to hit me back. But uh, what's up? He's like, man, come check me out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's early. Just come check me out. I'm about to spend somewhere. So he's like, all right, cool. Where are you spending that? He told me where he's spending. I go into the spot. I'm not going to put the spot on blast. I go into the spot or whatever. It's empty. I'm like, all right, cool. So I offer him a drink. Yo, what you drinking? You want something to drink? All right, cool. He tell me what he want. He's like, yo, just give me a Casa Reposada, Casamigo Reposada with some Sprite. I say, all right, cool. So I go to the bar. I'm like, yo, let me get a whiskey sour. Let me get this, blah, blah, blah. And when she told me the number, it's just like, hold up. I just ordered two drinks. Why am I spending like 60 some dollars? But what was trippy about it is I didn't even think about it at first. I kind of just like, all right, don't worry about it, right? Maybe I'm missing something. Then she poured it up and it was just like a shot. Like she did like the actual pour shot, right? And I was like, nah, double it up. So when she doubled it up, I just gave her like $10, like, hey. And then the girl comes back. She's like, nah, it's $25. And in my head, I go, hold on. This bottle of Casamigo Reposado in the liquor store is 50, 55 bucks. And I might've spent $25 on one shot. Get out of here. If I buy two shots, his one drink was damn near one whole bottle of Casamigos in the, in, in the liquor store. After that, I was like, yo, this club business is about to go away. Niggas about to protest, ban it, whatever, or they're going to start pre-gaming and all they're going to be selling is water in the club because the prices are too damn high. That's financial pressures to a degree for those that are trying to entertain when they go out in the world like that. But overall, just inflation, there's a lot of people losing their homes. Cars have gone up. Um, I seen an ad recently where they were talking about a new caddy was 130. I was like, what? Like people are spending hundreds of Tesla, 100,000, 125, Porsche, Audi A, R8. I get it. It's like 125, 150. The way the car prices are going up, it's ridiculous. So people are losing crazy just based off car prices, amongst other things. Cost of living, everything is going up. And that's causing financial stresses because the money ain't changing, but the cost of life is changing, you know? The expense for children is changing and that could create financial pressures in any home. Not even to mention this, but to mention it, I literally seen a video. I think the guy did it on TikTok, but it was posted on YouTube and it's it's a sad story. I'm going to try to run through it real quick. I think the guy's a tow truck driver. So he was, so he was, he had to impound or tow or repossess rather a car of a gentleman. The guy at the time was living somewhere where he was in oil and gas and he was making six figures, had a wife, had the kids. Oil and gas tanked, right? The industry tanked. He lost his job. 
still trying to work. He picked up a job for 60000 He's making, he probably went for like one fifty to 60000 So you already know that's a definite change. Lifestyle probably had to change, obviously. Household, the whole nine. He said he wound up, his wife wound up asking for a divorce, but he had to, when she asked for the divorce, for whatever reason, because it happened so quick, I think, between the, the job loss, the $60,000 job and her request for the divorce, that they made the child support based on the previous year's salary, I guess, of 140 or one whatever, the six-figure salary. So he eventually downsized, obviously, started living out of his car, didn't insure the car, couldn't afford to pay for the car, lost the car, keeping up with child support payments. So he lost the car, lost, so, so can't keep up with the payments. The car got to get repossessed. The tow truck driver had to repossess the car, but he kept in contact with him. Something else happened. And then maybe within weeks, I think he said the guy took his life because of child support. Now, this was a, the guy was referencing child support. Now, he could have, the guy was saying, okay, he could have went to the court and, you know, got his child support reduced. But the pressure, the financial pressure of not being able to provide, losing that whole life changing, losing your your family, you know, paying child support and probably willingly, comfortably willing to do so. However, not being able to, to, to afford much of anything and then living out of your car, the dude took his life. So in this video, the guy was just talking about the perils or the negatives of what child support can do to, to men, um, especially in the face of job loss or, you know, financial changes in life and things of that nature. But this, again, could affect your spiritual intimacy. In this case, if you and your wife break up or your girl break up, then that's evident there. They got shared belief, that value, that connection is gone. What's next? So we talked about busy life, job, and a career path, parenting, children, management of financial pressures, family or personal conflicts. You can take that however you want. Uh, A lack of respect for a partner, which is huge. Spiritual abuse or faith is used against one due to their gender, sexuality, et cetera. Won't get too far into that, but you can surmise, you know, how that can play out. I wanted to delve into how to create and facilitate a spiritual connection. But before I do that, I want to double back to the last episode. So in the last episode, there was a moment when we were talking about physical intimacy and um, we were talking about cheating in the context of relational trauma. So when I was coming up with this spiritual intimacy, I couldn't think about the impact of cheating in terms of relational trauma and how that could affect the spirit. Imagine you feel like you got a soul tie, right? Or you got a, or you believe you have a soulmate, whatever the case may be. And, you know, for those that hit me up and was just kind of talking to me or whatever, and they were like, yo, go through it, bro. Like, uh, I think that's something that we need to delve on. And I wasn't, I really wasn't. I really wasn't. Life circumstances um, had definitely put this in the forefront of my own brain. However, other people all over are going through the same thing. And um, there's headlines for Iman Shumpert and Tiana Taylor. Um, there's headlines that came out for Jeezy and Jenny Mai. There's headlines for all kinds of things. I was watching Billions the other day. And uh, I think ep- the last episode, the dude came all the way from Russia because <laughs> his wife was trying to get a divorce, but she was being ushered into it from a guy who was like 
a windfall, a bread could come with it. And uh, it's just something that, you know, as I age and as I just continue to see life, it's just something is just a part of what's happening. It doesn't have to happen. And um, I recently started doing this thing called hypnotherapy, just trying to do another form of therapy. And in this, been having at length conversations about the various nuances of this topic and things of that nature. And um, me looking at myself and just identifying with where I've made the, the decision. Do I regret it? Am I remorseful? How do I feel about it? Understanding what caused it et cetera, et cetera. It just, it took me for a loop. And then again, me trying my best, my best, best, best to not even address it. I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. So I'm online the other day and then I see this or I hear this. And this is some real shit. I ain't going to say no names, but every homie that I got that, that's a good nigga. Johnny, perfect. I'm talking about a good nigga. Never fucked up. Never got caught cheating. Never did. What'd you None say never got shit. caught? Was they the, cheating? No, you said no. Never I, got no, no, no. I don't know. They don't but what I'm saying is they, they, they never got caught. None, none of that shit. They all caught they bitch with a dick in her mouth. No. <laughs> no. Are you serious? Every last one of them. Goddamn, no, goddamn no, mad. No. Every Daddy's last one of them. No. Every last one of them caught no. they bitch with a dick in her mouth. God, that sucks. Mm. I'm just saying. So to me, it just seemed like the good guys finished last. I don't ever want to. <laughs> I don't want to. Gee, do your thing. The last thing I want to see is that. The last the last, I'm comfortable with avoidance. Last thing, last, 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 last thing, last thing. You know what I'm saying? I thought that was crazy. I was like, sheesh. But then moving on from there, I heard this. No commitment that we have in life is good the whole time. No, you're going to get a dump. They're going to dump shit on you. Mm -hmm. Can you now stand in front of everybody with doo-doo on you and be like, yep, we finna try again. Mm -hmm. I'm finna do it again. Let me wipe this shit off. I got another idea. I'm definitely finna take a bath. 100%. I'm going to get it from in between my neck. Like, we got to get the shit off us. But you got to continue to march. And it's like, I feel like we... That's the, that's the only way. Like, you got to just give yourself grace and knowing, like, I, I got room. I got to grow. She got room. She got to grow. It's time that we might not be on the same, but it's like, as long as we got the same mission, then we locked in. You know? That was Iman Shumper right there. And I thought that was so mature because it's the truth in many respects. Like, that is it's like the overarching mission. The hardest thing is to do is to face the the quote-unquote shame that comes with infidelity and affair or whatever the case may be. I think if you wanted to get out of it, wanted to roll, maybe so. But it made me think about this, right? It really made me think about it. Why do people do it? I can have my reasons. You can have your reasons, whatever. So let me see what the psychologists say. So in Psychology Today, there was an article that they back some time ago. They really delve into this. And these are eight reasons why people say they cheat or they say that most people cheat. They said falling out of love. Sometimes, but not always, a deficit in an existing relationship leads to people having um, extra, you know, extra affairs or affairs. They said over three quarters, 77% of participants in this test that they did um, indicated that a lack of love for their stable partner and or greater love for the, ex- the other partner was fairly strong reason for why they cheated. 
Another reason was for variety. Another one was for neglect. Another one was for situational forces. Like, I, you know, I didn't really want to do it, but I was, I was driven by my dissatisfaction with the current relationship. Um, and it was about 70% in the study that, that, that said that. Some mothers say they were intoxicated or they, they didn't know they wasn't in their right mind. Drugs induced it. Some people did it to boost their self-esteem. Maybe feeling a lack of love. We talked about that in previous one. Not being validated, not feeling secure or whatever. And that happens all the time. You know, niggas tell, it's dudes right now gassing up your girl all day, every day. You sexy, you fine, you look good, blah, 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 blah. Some of them mean it, some of them don't. That could lead to it if she's feeling touch starved or she's feeling, she's not feeling validated or vulnerable in her relationship. Those things can edify her because he's speaking in that, that those feeling terms. And that could cost it. That could boost her self-esteem where she, where he makes her feel a certain way that she feels better about herself in a way that maybe she probably in her right mind wouldn't, but because of how he makes her feel, it translates into behavior that does it and vice versa. It's a lot of women right now who got dudes that they ain't loving on their dudes. That dude don't know that you love him. He don't know that you arrive for him. He don't know that you you find him attractive, sexy, or whatever. And there's a woman outside calling him baby, sexy, da-da-da-da. And she's willing to be the affectionate lover that I'm about to say something on that in a second. But and it, if you're feeling low on your self-esteem, you might do something out of that. Maybe that's the ego speaking. Another one is out of anger. People do it out of retribution. You cheated on me, so I'm going to cheat on you. Not feeling committed. A lot of people like, I don't know, lack of love, lack of commitment, things of that nature. And the last one was because of sexual desire. They said about 30% were driven to have an affair because of their sexual desire. So maybe they're not getting it enough. Maybe they're in a relationship that where there's not enough sex or there's not enough affection or whatever. She ain't giving enough head. She don't understand it. She think that it's a, it's a punishment when you ask for it. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't want to participate. You know what I'm saying? Only going to wait till you ask for it or whatever. Or doesn't want to be sexual or turns you down sexually. So now you're like, all right. And then the other side could be, he not touching you. He not sexing you. He not trying to eat the box. He not romancing you, whatever, whatever. So that lack of intimacy is causing you now to go seek it or you opened up to seeing it or to, 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 to receiving it or whatever the case may be. Those are options that that can happen before I get back into spiritual intimacy. What I did when I was looking at this, I just realized that like the reasons that one would go against themselves. And when I say that, I mean, go against themselves in a, in a, in a relationship, like you're in a relationship and you will go against yourself by doing something that will put that relationship at risk where you can risk losing it and everything that comes along with it are superfluous. There's a number of different reasons for it. And I'm not going to call anyone, any one of those reasons right, wrong or indifferent, you know, to each his own or with it or whatever the case may be. The participants in that situation isn't always linear. I think the, the one thing that I realized the most about it is that it's not always linear in that the soul tie could also convolute, like compound a situation. Sometimes people are rational human beings. They understand totally what they're signed up for or what they're in and they still proceed and then still find themselves in a position where they be, behave in a way that's counterproductive. It doesn't, it doesn't, I'm not gonna call it even counterproductive. It lacks accountability. It lacks accountability. 
you find reasons to point the finger and not take responsibility for the decisions that you made or that you are making. The greatest and the hardest part about this bringing it all back is that once you've gone through all of this and you've gone through all this rigmarole, if you're not a person who was dissatisfied, ready to exit your relationship, self-sabotaging because you wanted to end your relationship, but actually just in a momentary fog or in a situation where what you had, you didn't see it for how it was, you wasn't valuing it for what it was, or maybe it was just a fucked up situation, like the, the relationship was not good. And instead of just either ending and doing or towing the line because you're still committed, you do things that totally nullifies all the good or nullifies your intention. Like your intention means nothing at this point. It's only the result. But you create harm. You cause hurt in multiple places. And at the end of the day, you're just sitting there looking at what you've done. So speaking to men, right? I speak to you as I speak to myself. I think that um, for us, we don't have the feeling card that a lot of women have. A lot of women can behave in a way whereby they can have an affair or they can cheat or they can cheat with you knowing you're an involved man or whatever the case may be. And they can use the feeling card at any point in time. They can say, I felt it. I was in love or I cared or I, and no one will really say much wrong, right or indifferent. They get the pass. It's a woman being a woman, but dudes don't have that pass. They can't feel their way in their mistakes. They have to own it a little bit more or they have to own it, period. And in owning it, what you realize is that you've given up a power that you should not give up. In the moment, it doesn't you don't realize it when you're going through it. It's kind of like, uh, but that's the challenge that we all face. Kingdoms have been lost and wars have started because of a man and a woman. We know that to be true. That's the power of, of women. Women have great power, insurmountable power. They, it's crazy power. However, as men, we have to begin to understand or not begin, but we have to understand more than anything that our power is in our integrity. And when we violate that based on operating on our lower chakra, um, maybe it's the chemistry, maybe it's something there, maybe whatever, that we don't have the luxury to resort to a feeling because we're held to a higher standard, a higher regard. I heard something recently and I might present it on the next episode. Um, and it was by Dr. Miles Monroe. It's about eight, nine minutes long. I wish I can play it, but I don't think you could listen to eight, nine minutes. I would have to chop it up. But essentially what he was saying is that men, and this counters the Devon Franklin thing, and this happened years ago that he said this, that men, if our relationships or our relationship rather is not the one in which we want, it's not what we're happy with, we're not content with our relationship, we're not satisfied with our relationship, then it's not the woman's fault, it's actually our fault. Now, if you know anything about Dr. Miles Monroe, he talks about the kingdom. He's a kingdom preacher. He talks about kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. He teaches about the kingdom. And getting to it, the 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 the, the point, overarching point I'm paraphrasing here is that before Eve came into existence, there were already things in which God had commanded of the, of the man, of, of Adam. He already gave Adam a job. He's already given Adam, you know, shelter. Adam had his place. He had, he understood his purpose. He understood a bunch of things before Eve existed. By the time Eve came, it was basically be fruitful and multiply. But he, he gave the analogy of what that meant. And it's been on my heart probably for like the last week and a half. So I'm sharing it with you. When I thought when he, the way he said it, it made me think about what is a fruit. 
fruits come from seeds. They come from something, right? So more than likely are planted. But he talked about, he used the word cultivate. So in that essence, right? In your relationship, especially with your woman, what seeds are you sowing to produce the type of fruit, which is the re- within the relationship, the seeds of communication, the seeds of uh, sexual uh, satisfaction, seeds of, uh, of, of joint activities, seeds of family. Like what, are, what, what seeds are you planting in your relationship with your woman? And then it brings me to this leader thing. And Eve, from the beginning of time, if we want to believe the story, she's always challenged Adam into his purpose. The apple was just a sign, a, a, a challenge. And, you know, men in our quest sometimes to please women because of their emotions, because we like them, because we want to show something, we want to sacrifice. Sometimes we, we go against our better judgment. We know better, but we don't do better. And in doing so, we destroy more than just ourselves. We destroy much more than that. Or we, 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 we create more conflict. We can create compounded problems. So I say all that to say that um, it all brings back to the spirit because in our spirit, we always know what's right and what's wrong. We always know that we, we're, we are wired to self-correct. In that self-correction, we get to this part, how to create and facilitate a spiritual connection. So first, Celebrate the high holidays with enthusiasm and flair for those of you in a relationship. High holidays are faith-based ones, right? Some people think that. Commit to self-love. Be kind to yourself and others. Radically accept yourself. Practice your faith. Set aside time to you know practice your religion and your faith with your partner. Follow Christ or Yeshua. Pray for your partner. Pray together daily with your partner. Share devotional time. Um, share your weaknesses. Truthfully share your shortcomings. Share how you how faith, how your faith and your beliefs um, have been instrumental in your personal growth, experience and grow through activities of the spirit. A lot of this comes courtesy of Charlotte Ashlock. So I, shout out to her. She had wrote an article that I found was really, really dope. And um, I pulled some of these things that she said and from that article into this. But experience and grow together through activities of the spirit. And this was very, 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 very profound. So check this out. She said, activities of the spirit are... Awe, A-W-E, grief, forgiveness, compassion, questioning, answering, and dreaming. Awe is a shared sense of awe. It centers around the marvelous trans, uh, transcendent experiences, a dope-ass waterfall, a cool view, a blue, blue ocean, white sand beach, something cool, especially na- nature will blow you away. But something will leave you awestruck, seeing a miracle come, being blessed in a way that you didn't Im- imagine being blessed. Grief is another uh, activity of the spirit, uh, experiencing the same tragic or painful life events and creating a common meaning around those events. Death, obviously. Forgiveness, huge. Um, sharing secrets or confessing sins, especially when those experiences are identified with or understood. Compassion. Offering help to someone in need, especially when not constrained to do so by any form of obligation. Questioning. Abandoning social forms in favor of naked sincerity when discussing life's most important questions. Answering. Witnessing or participating in another's moment of transformation or paradigm shift. Dreaming. Working together to create or achieve clearly beloved dreams and aspirations. So again, how do you create and facilitate this spiritual intimacy? You experience and grow through the activities of the spirit, which are all grief, forgiveness, compassion, questioning, answering, and dreaming. 
So let's go a little bit further into the activities of the spirit because it helps to explain and validate the question of value, worth, and identity. Again, shout out to Kurt, uh, to, to Charlotte Ashlock. I think this was very, very, very insightful. What do you value? Value, awe and grief both touch on the question of what do I value? Awe and grief. You seen a dope fashion show? Seen some cool kicks, a nice dunk. A, a, a talented athlete like Travis Hunter or somebody else, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, whatever. What makes you say, oh, what leaves you in awe? What gives you grief? Saddens you. So what she says, that makes you consider what you value. Awe and grief both touch on the question of what do I value? Awe is felt in the presence of what one values. Grief is felt when what one values is lost or taken away. When two share awe and grief, it creates a spiritual intimacy because within an intense experience or shared values, both co-locate or share the same spirits. Imagine two people, Tory Lanez and Megan, Megan Thee Stallion, although it was like kind of a tragic bitter end. But one of the things that they profoundly talked about was the loss of mothers. They both lost their mother. And I think before everything kind of came out, they were talking about or he was talking about at least that that shared experience, that shared experience of grief, the fact that they felt that and got that, that helped bond them together. What am I worth? Forgiveness and compassion both touch on the question of what am I worth? Forgiveness acknowledges one's transgression or failure. It acknowledges that one's transgression or failure cannot take away their worthiness. When you forgive somebody, what you're basically telling that individual is that you are still worthy no matter what you've done. When you've been forgiven, that is what someone tells you. Hey, listen, you probably messed up beyond messed up, but I forgive you because you are still worthy. That's huge. But what does compassion do? Compassion acknowledges one as worthy in the face of either believing or experiencing the antithesis from the world. So when you get compassion, imagine a homeless person, person that's disabled, handicapped, whatever, and they get compassion. Somebody does something for them out of compassion, helps them out of compassion. That individual probably sometimes feels like I'm the outcast. Like nobody really rock with me. They don't feel me. However, when they receive compassion, imagine a kid who needs to be adopted, lost their parents in a foster home, don't know who their parents are. When they get that, that sense of compassion makes them feel worthy when they feel like, damn, I thought I was just thrown away. Thought nobody loved me. Nobody cared for me. Remember this, honoring one's worth will always make the spirits of two touch. When you honor someone's worth, your spirit and their spirit will always touch. Questioning, answering, and dreaming all touch on the question of who am I? All in different contexts. Let's see if we can tackle it real quick. To join in a serious sense of being, questioning is the meaning of past events is to explore who was I? So when you question something, sometimes you're really asking, who was I? What was I like as a kid? Why did I do what I did? Who was I? Did I believe in myself? Did I think this of myself? When you start seeking those answers, you're asking yourself, who am I now? Am I I who I was or have I evolved? Have I grown from this? When you start dreaming to your future, a shared future, especially, who will I be? These are the activities of the spirit. Remember, all grief, forgiveness, no, all grief, forgiveness, compassion, questioning, answering, and dreaming. When you're in your relationship, and you're experiencing all these different things. You're looking to share experiences of awe, grief, uh, uh, compassion, dreaming, all these things, questioning, answering. And you're like looking to grow and experience this. This can draw you in and become more spiritually connected to your partner. I brought up the church early. I'm not going to question nobody's pastor. 
I'm not going to question nobody's church. But I came across this and it really just made me pose the question for you to answer on your own. I'm going to say it in a declarative statement, but at the same time, I'm also asking the question, what should church be? I came across this and what I realized is that there was this question of what church should be. And part of it was this notion of church should be, church should support the growth of a spiritual intimate community. So the question is, does yours, does your church support the growth of a spiritually intimate community? All grief, compassion, forgiveness, um, answering, questioning, dreaming. It should also be a place where one experiences, where one individual can experience, well, well, the collective, but one experiences the awe of God's presence, the grief of a broken world, the forgiveness for one's deepest sins, the compassion for one's greatest needs, the assistance in answering the scariest of inquiries, the creation of the perfect love. Or is your church a place where one experiences the performance of awe, where one fears to ask one another for answers? Because you want to look like you got it, that we good. Or was it also a place where there's a concealment of shame, grief, need, doubt, just posing it? We're living in a day in the age of false prophets. There's a lot of people who I've seen, I seen recently, um, I think it was on YouTube or something like that. It was this pastor. And it was like, he got caught again sleeping with another man. And when I looked at the dude, I was like, man, <laughs> I didn't think like you think. But um, we're in the age of that where people are using the Lord in a number of different ways to, to, to do what they want to do, you know, to, to live the life, to enrich themselves, to have power over people. So it's important that when you're evaluating your church, you're thinking about it as being a, a place of the greatest spiritual intimacy, the epitome of this, of, of, of great spiritual intimacy, not only from the pastors and the first family and the family but the congregation and how the church manifests itself, not only within those walls, but outside in the world. A lot of these churches only manifest themselves within the walls. They don't really manifest themselves outside the walls. So what are some other examples of spiritual intimacy? Clear support. It offers many a support system. So when you got that spiritual intimacy, you're going to definitely feel supported. You're going to always feel an emotional closeness. There'll be physical intimacy, right? The faith to two share provides the guide for a physical intimacy or the practice of faith can intensify and increase your sexual chemistry. It can include, again, strong trust, right? To share the same faith can elicit greater trust because one trusts in the way one behaves and practices. Remember that. So you can see this in examples of rituals. You can see mindfulness, yoga, uh, stretching, connecting with nature, religion, all these different examples of spiritual intimacy or of the way it could be manifested in the world. So this brings me to this next thing. You know, that clip I played, that soundbite of uh, Iman Shumper talking about, you got doo-doo on you, you got shit on you, but you got to like be like, I'm going to wash all this off, but me, you going to go out here and, you know, let's go play ball. Game ain't over. And I thought about where we as individuals, primarily I'm talking to men and myself, what do we need to kind of focus on and it made me think about our emotional intelligence. Now, there are four skills when it comes to emotional intelligence. Now, this book, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, is where I got this from. And I ain't going to hold you. It's been a, it's taken me a while to get through this book. Every time I try to read it, just never really had the time when my focus is off or whatever. You know, in light of this episode, it, it really came together. I just want to present these four different skills to you with a highlight on the last one that I'm going to mention. Basically, competencies and skills. So you have a personal competence, social competence. You have two, two competencies, right? 
So you have to be personally competent and socially competent to be emotionally intelligent. Now, personal competence and social competence has two different skills in each of them. So personal competence is when it's focusing on the individual and the ability of the individual to stay aware of their own emotions and manage their behavior and tendencies. That's personal competence. The ability for you as an individual to focus on your own ability to stay aware of your own emotions and manage your behavior and your tendencies. So the two skills that you need here are your self-awareness skills and your self-management skills. The next is social competence. This focuses on the individual's ability to understand the moods, behaviors, and motives of others in support of improving the quality of the relationships. Think of social competence like your ability to read the room. And it has two major skills, social awareness and relationship management skills. And we're going to highlight relationship management skills. What's self-awareness? I'm going to run through this real quickly. I want y'all to go out there, read the book. Men, I think this is something that we need to kind of like revisit over and over and over again and just continue to work and hone in on. These are all skills that we need. And the most important and the most foundational of this is this first one, self-awareness, which is a self-management skill. It comes from the personal competence part of emotional intelligence. So self-awareness is a foundational emotional intelligence skill that benefits every other skill that you need to have. And it's your ability to accurately perceive your emotions in the moment and understand your tendencies in different situations. You got some people to yell a lot. They don't know how to yell when they get upset. They don't know how to yell when they whatever, like that's just a tendency uh, or avoid. I think one of my tendencies sometimes, like I just fall back. As many times I've made mistakes in this world, I become reclusive. Like I feel the shame. I feel the embarrassment. I just feel like everybody looking at me. I feel like I'm like, I'm disappointed already in myself. I'm probably already ashamed. I'm already embarrassed. And I just start, I end up hiding without literally telling myself I'm a hide. I just kind of like, all right, just sit down, G. And in doing so, I just become reclusive. I just, I just shut myself off and out. I've realized that I've gone through these cyclical patterns of having to find a way to get back to life every single time. And that's not cool. We all make mistakes. We all falter at some point. We've all been foolish. We all can be foolish. It's a, it's a, it's a consistent thing that we all have to manage and maintain, right? There's no mistake that defines you. You can allow their mistake to define you, but there's no mistake that you've made that could ever define you, especially if you have a willingness and a desire to change that behavior, that mentality, that perspective, and things of that nature. So we can't allow ourselves to be defined by our mistakes, right? I think even biblically for those that are believers, you know, when you pray for forgiveness, though, like they, what they say, God, God throws it in the depths of the sea. So he's not even condemning you for the things in which you did, but you still condemning yourself. And that self-condemnation is like the worst thing you could ever really do, right? It doesn't allow you to grow and learn from that mistake or that decision and, and bounce back. You're taken out. The next thing about self-awareness is it provides a direct and honest understanding of what makes one tick. So when you're self-aware, you know what, what's going to make you fly off the handle. And if you know what makes you fly off the handle, you can be more strategic about how you to prevent that. It allows one to quickly make sense of their emotions. Emotions always serve a purpose. Remember that. Your emotions always serve a purpose. You don't ever feel bad about what you feel. It's about how you behave when you feel what you feel. The behavior, the action that you take after you feel what you feel is more important than what you feel. You can feel, and I mean, granted, what you feel is very, very important. But what's most critical is how you behave based on that. So what this is basically saying, all right, look, okay, cool. You feel what you feel. 
but your ability through your self-awareness skills to identify like, all right, these are my emotions. What, it, what purpose is this serving right now? Understanding where it came from, you know, and why it exists. The main thing about this is that your ability to understand why you feel this way, where it came from, et cetera, et cetera, is if you spend time thinking about it. You got to think through your emotions. And there's a lot of people that don't want to feel. So what they do is just they become like this boomerang. They feel some, they throw it right back out to everybody else to try to avoid feeling it, where it's actually serving a purpose. Next, it requires a willingness to tolerate the discomfort of negative feelings. To be self-aware, you have to be comfortable with uncomfortable feelings, negative feelings specifically. To do so can prevent negative reactions or actions and statements. There's a lot of people who, when they're uncomfortable, they're hurt, they're whatever, all they do is seek to hurt somebody else. They'll say and do things that they're going to end up regretting later on. One that is self-aware clearly understands what they do well, what motivates them, what satisfies them, and who and what situations push their buttons. You got to be comfortable with your strengths and your weaknesses. When you're not that self-aware, you have a very hard time accepting your strengths and your weaknesses. I'm going to pause for a second to say this. So I got a call not too long ago and a guy's talking to me. He's like, yo, G, I want to holler at you about something. Like, what's going on? How's everything? And I'm like, you know, I've been busy, blah, blah, blah. Proceeds to tell me how he hasn't really been sexual in, sexually intimate in a minute. Are you kind of chilling? You know what I'm saying? But it's not like it's more circumstantial than it is by choice. And he's just talking about life in a certain kind of way. And from the last episode, you heard me say like, all right, I look at women when y'all dealing with these dudes. I'm like, yo, why you ain't telling these dudes? Nah, nah, nah. I want to tell them like, bro, go look at yourself in the mirror right now. Go look at yourself. Are you who you believe would not only attract, but maintain and sustain the woman that you're looking at? Furthermore, look at your life. Look at everything you got going on. Ask yourself that. Look at who you are, the person that you are. Matter of fact, he's super talented. I'm like, bro, this might be a win. I mean, I ain't trying. I know you might need companionship, need a woman in your life. But bro, let me tell you some real shit. Maybe this might be the good time for you just to focus on your craft. Go hone your craft, my G. You young, go hone your craft. Like you, you, you super talented. You super blessed. Don't look at this as a as a lo- as a loss. Like it's actually a win. You got more time to, you know, tighten up. If there's one thing I learned in this world, like the time we spend chasing after women, the time we spend investing in, or not even investing, being you know focusing on women before we kind of got ourselves what we need to is a is a is a it's counterproductive because then once you get that woman, the thing that she's attracted to morphs. Like she she might start out by like, oh, he's cute. He's funny. We cool. But then you as a dude, like what you doing with yourself, how you moving, how you holding yourself together becomes a thing that want to become the greatest knock because now she don't know she can get behind you. She still fuck with you, but she don't really know if she can really get behind you. At the end of the day, you don't know what her reasoning is for choosing you. You know, you never know. So create some value in you so that you understand and have a better understanding of why anyone would want to be with you. But at the same time, that that's, that's that goes into this. Like being self-aware is understanding your strengths and weaknesses. It's understanding what you do well. It's understanding what motivates you, what satisfies you, who in what situation push your buttons. To that third point, satisfaction is huge. About 12 years ago, I was back home. There's three dudes in the car. I got my drivers, me, and a passenger side. One other dude in the back, and I got a girl in the back. The girl was helping me shop for some other females or women that I was trying to, you know, say thank you to. So I was like, I need a woman with me to kind of show me 
what to buy so that I can come back and gift these women that's been like holding me down. So while we in the car, we go do the shopping, blah, blah, blah. So after it was over, I'm like, yo, y'all hungry? Y'all want to go get something to eat? They're like, yeah, let's go get something to eat. So while we in the car, the dudes, is, they want to go here. They want to go here. They want to go here. And I go, hold up. We got one woman in the car. And I'm like, yo, what you want to go eat? And she was like, whatever you want. I'm like, nah, nah, seriously, what do you want to eat? She's like, whatever satisfies you. And I was like, nah, seriously, it's three dudes. We're going to eat what you want to eat. I'm in a male-dominated society. You know, for all this, it's very paternalistic. So that explains why the dudes wasn't even thinking about, hey, da-da-da-da. They weren't chivalrous in that kind of way. It was like, she's going to eat what we eat. But I said it again, and she repeated it again. Whatever satisfies you. And I'm like, nah, seriously, come on. Like, I don't know where to go. Let me know. Where you trying to eat at? She was like, honestly, whatever satisfies you. I was like, so you're not going to answer me? She's like, nah, that's my answer. I'm fine with whatever you want. Whatever satisfies you. Now, understand this. For me, I was chilling. But the bottom line is, I was like, all right, dudes, where y'all want to go? So they chose a good spot, sit on the water, got some good food, boom, boom, boom. But it stuck with me. It stuck with me. I think for the next year of my life, it stuck with me. It helped. And the funny thing is that statement made me choose my significant other. And I forgot. I literally forgot that. That that's what made me choose in that year. The year after. No, no. Seven months later. Six months later. Something like that. Three months something like that. That's what made me see, some, see this woman and go, yeah, I, I bang with her. I absolutely forgot. When I'm going through this episode, I'm, you know, going through my research, trying to really delve this. Like I said again, men at work, we we this is our community right here. The women may be chiming in, they may be listening in, but I'm really speaking to you like I'm speaking to myself. I literally forgot. So when I came across this, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like stupid. Stupid. <laughs> I remember what it made me think of and how it made me feel. Cause for the life of me, for the longest, every all of us, we always get into relationships and we always talking about being happy. What's the opposite of being happy? Sad? How often are you sad versus how often are you happy? Sometimes you wake up out of bed and you just sad. You don't even know why. You just sad. I don't feel good today, man. I don't know what happened. I don't even know, man. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah, I woke up on the wrong. If we live in our life according to happy or sad, man, we're gonna be some very confused, delusional people. But satisfaction is something different. When you think satisfaction, you think completion, you think fulfillment. When you think dissatisfaction, you think it doesn't do enough for me. It's not enough. And that alone has nothing to do with your happiness or your, whether or not you're sad. It's just this isn't enough. It's like if you hungry and I gave you one grain of rice, you're like, this ain't enough. I can't be satisfied with this. It's not even that I'm happy I ate something. It's this isn't enough. To meet the need. So you know what? Nah, I got to eat something until my body is satisfied, period. So satisfaction is a whole nother ball game. So remember that self-awareness makes you think about what satisfies you. So when we're in these relationships, we really got to start thinking about what makes me happy or sad. What makes me feel good? We got to really get back to or get to what satisfies me and cultivate that in our relationship with our woman. Cultivate that in our relationship overall. What's what would satisfy me? Let's move forward a little bit. So how to improve your self-awareness? Just simply think about it. Don't be afraid of your emotional mistakes. As I said before, your emotional mistakes make you, it provides you with the information and the guidance that you need. So when you make those mistakes, I don't care how they're manifested, 
understand they're they're like your guidance system. If you not if you don't harp on the mistake, it could help you navigate to, to self correct. And in self correction, you get closer to where you need to be. But that's the self awareness part. The benefits of self awareness increases your self satisfaction. You being satisfied with yourself, not happy with yourself, satisfied with yourself, which is definitely going to affect your self esteem. And it can definitely help you reach your goals. It can help you pursue the right opportunities with an emphasis on your strengths. Many, many years ago, I worked for a company, an engineering firm, and my manager was a, me and him was talking, he was a solid guy, former Marine. And he said something that stuck with me for life. And it's been part of my life mission over the last three to five years and why this podcast even exists. And he basically seen my strengths and my weaknesses or my, my strengths particularly, he ain't even talking about my weaknesses and told me how it would be valuable in the industry of in my, in my career and was able to parse it in a way like, this is how I see you. And was telling me, focus on that. I ended up focusing on that, not really thinking about that. And it ended up being the thing that kind of catapulted me in my career, allowed me to become better and greater and be able to earn more money. But overall, the, the other benefit of self-awareness is it helps one understand their full self. The more self-aware you become, you begin to understand the full breadth and width of yourself. The next skill is self-management. This is another personal competency. This is the ability of one to leverage the awareness of their emotions, to be and remain flexible and positively direct their behavior. Again, this is essentially the management of one's emotional reaction to situations and people. It's the result of action or inaction. So when you're self-managing yourself, you're self-aware. So how you react to something, right? Whether you're doing something or you don't do something, some curse, like it's like this right now. They wild out here. I ain't jumping in that fight. Self-management. But it totally depends on your self-awareness. Self-management is understanding and building on the comfort, the comfort with your feelings to discover the best course of action. You don't always act off your emotions. You recognize and acknowledge your emotions because you're self-aware. However, you don't always act off that. You act off the best course of action. What will produce the most positive result for you and everyone else involved? The greatest challenge one will face is managing their tendencies over time and applying their skills in the variety of situations. Next, to achieve the best results, and this is in terms of self-management or success in life, one must be able to put their momentary needs on hold to pursue larger and more important goals, such as the management of your tendencies. A lot of us got bad tendencies, including myself. I could be inconsistent. I can be a lot of different things, right? And my and our tendencies become the thing that keep us from growing and becoming who we need to be. Sometimes it can it can hinder us. It can it can, it could ruin an opportunity. Self management helps you prevent that. But understand this: your commitment to self management will always be tested. So if we go back to the cheating comment, your self awareness will help you understand why you even want to deal with this. Yeah, you might feel like this about your relationship. You might feel like this about your partner. You might feel like this overall. But now you understand where you came from, why it, came, why it happened, why it exists, et cetera, et cetera. And then your self-management is going to make you think about it from the best course of action. What's the best decision for me? Regardless of what decisions you've made, your ability to practice self-management will help you self-correct and make the better decision. So let's move forward. Social awareness. Now we get into the other the other competency, which is more of the social co- competency. Very quickly, it's the ability to accurately identify the emotions in others and understand what's going on with them. Our foundation is it's, it's a foundational skill of the social competence, and it involves perceiving the thoughts and feelings of others, even if you don't feel the same. It ensures one stays focused and absorbs critical information. Yo, I walk into a room, I be feeling people energy. I be knowing what's going on. Like I be knowing if a nigga don't really fuck with me. And it's cool. Because it's not that I don't fuck with you, 
but it's good that I feel and I know that you ain't really about what you're saying. And I be feeling it a lot of times. I be knowing who really, really bang with me and who really, really not. Sometimes I even, I, I've, I've also found myself make mistakes with women, fully knowing they ain't got the right intentions for me. They ain't got no right intentions for me. I could see them from a mile away. I could see them conniving. I could see them acting slippery. I could see them doing a whole bunch. But because I'm just so much like, do what you do. Have at it. I don't really react. I just let it live. But I be feeling it. I'm like, a, I'm a super empath. So I be catching it like from a mile away. Like, yeah, uh-huh. I hear you. I see what you're doing. You know, I see your movements have changed. I see your responsiveness. I see how you behave. I catch your eyes. I watch how you talk and why you, what you walk, what you say, what you do. I've caught it all. Dudes, I see how you move when you're around me. I understand how you're doing these things. I understand the energy when I walk in a room. I can understand it based off associations, all this. Like, that's one of my skill sets. My, the issue that I think that I, I fail at when it comes to this competency is my ability to make a better decision about it. Like, I don't even need to trifle with it anymore. I need, like, once I peep it, just... Most times I do, but there's often times where I'm just like, man, have at it. Like, I ain't even going to stress you, man. Whatever happens, happens, yo. I'm not even worried about it. You're going to do what you're going to do, but I'm going to say something and I'm going to tell you exactly what I don't want to see happen, but I'm saying it because I know what you're going to do. So when it happens, at least me and you have an understanding of each other. You can't give me the I didn't know. So then when the, 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 the change happens... We can gracefully and peacefully move in our separate ways and we'd be a-okay. No beef whatsoever, no enemies, no nothing. This is a big one about social awareness. It requires listening and observing. Any guy who's ever been in a relationship can understand this, that when you're dealing with a woman, one of the biggest, 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 biggest issues that I've ever dealt with is the difference between listening and hearing. Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? So it's important that I define this. So make sure y'all take this. Listening, to hear something with thoughtful attention. When somebody said they're listening to you, that means they hear you and they understand what you're saying. They're thinking about what you're saying. They're really thinking about it, not in the context of them, in the context of what you're actually freaking saying. Hearing is just to perceive with your ears the sound made by someone or something to gain information. When you hear something, you know you're hearing something like, oh shit, who talking? Who's, where did that coming from? Is that music? Is that whatever? Is that the doorbell? Whatever. That's hearing. Listening with thoughtful intention is like, oh, I heard something and now I'm paying attention to it and making sense of it in the context of what I'm hearing, not in the context of what I'm thinking. In order to do this right, in order to really listen and observe, it requires you to do four things. You have to stop talking, stop the monologue in your head, stop anticipating or assuming another person's point and stop thinking ahead to the next statement or point. That's the most irritating thing in the world. You talking to somebody trying to have a good dialogue or you're having a discussion. It could be serious or whatever. And all they could think about it, all they keep coming back is with their next point. You like, did you hear me before you said what you said? You're not listening. You just trying to make points. And that's the thing. I got to make my point. Let me make this point though. Your point is moot. <laughs> your point is irrelevant. You know what I'm saying? But you want to make this damn point because you thought about it and you ain't going to be able to sit still until you get this point out of your head instead of listening and following the conversation. Relationship management. Now, this is the big crux. Spiritual, 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 spiritual intimacy is about relationships all the way through and through. Again, it's about that connection with somebody else on a higher level. 
that sharing of beliefs, it's that sharing of values, it's that those shared experiences, those activities, right? The awe, the grief, the compassion, the questioning, the answering, the dreaming. You're getting into all these things, but your ability to do this on a high level requires you to have this social competence skill. Now, you must have the the personal competence thing in terms of self-management and self-awareness, but this is also very critical on a social level, your relationship management skills. This is something that I'm deficient in, something that post this research, I am going to focus and concentrate on making sure that this is something that I absolutely most positively focus on. Relationship management. I mean, this is period. When we talk about relationship management, this could be your work relationships. This could be your, 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 your friendships. This could be your romantic relationships. This could be your familial relationships. But overall, we're talking here. You can apply this to the context of the spiritual intimacy for that romantic relationship that you could be in or that you desire to be in. So the first thing is you must have the ability to use your awareness of your emotions and those of others to manage interactions successfully. So the first part with your social awareness, you got your self-management, but then you got this other piece of your social awareness. Your ability to do that well is going to allow you to be able to manage your relationships better. It ensures that you have clear communication and effective conflict handling. It's about making choices and acting with good but with a goal of creating an honest, deep connection with others. It requires honesty with oneself and others. Going back to the cheating comment, when one is cheating, one of the biggest things that I realized, not only for myself, but in all this, everyone's lying. Everyone's lying. You're lying to the person you're cheating on, you're lying to yourself, and you're lying to the person you're cheating with. And if the person that you're cheating with is fully aware of the person that exists, they're lying to themselves about you, right? They're lying to themselves and they're lying to you. Everyone's lying in the mix. Everyone. So no one is being honest with each other, technically speaking. Now, you can find a way to be honest in that to a degree, right? Maybe the person you sliding with is the person you being honest with and they sliding with you so they could be honest with you, but you lying to somebody else. That is possible. But for the most part, everyone's lying to themselves because even in those situations, in good conscience, I think the way that we're wired, you know when you fucking up and you know you're making an egregious error and you understand the risks that you're taking. And for whatever the reasons are that you maintain it, you still understand what it is. So you got to lie to yourself to justify, to maintain it or to exist another day, period. There's always some lying involved. But in order to effectively, this relationship management piece, it requires honesty with yourself and others. It's so interesting. I say that, like, I remember not too long in the recent past, I was even saying to myself, like, I just want to be free. I was praying for it. Like, I just want to be free. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, you know, I was talking to a financial manager and I'm like, I just want to be free. I can't wait for that day where I'm free. I don't owe nobody a dollar. The things that I want to do are are taken care of. I can move how I want to move. I can live how I want to live and just be free. I'm praying about other things in life. and just I just want to be free. I don't want to be beholden to anybody in a way that's not positive. I don't mind obligating myself. But at the end of the day, I don't want to be locked into somebody else out of some form of negativity because of a lie, not being honest, right, with myself and others. So I remember that. So when I came across this, I was like, "Woo, that shit hit. All right. So the bond one builds with others over time. 
right? Relationship management is the bond that you build with others over time. These individuals see the benefit of connecting with people, including those they are, um, they're less than fond of. So this is part of your work relationships. You got to work with people sometimes that you're less than fond of. Your ability to manage your relationships is very critical sometimes to get this bag. I'm in a situation right now. Sometimes you got to work with people that I'm not going to say I'm not, uh, that's not really, that is not identified. But sometimes you are going to work with people that you're less than fond of. You don't like their work style, you know, whatever, whatever, but you got to. So you got to find a way to do so. Solid relationships are the result of how well one understands and treats a person and the shared history between them. It's hard to make a point in a relationship with a weak connection. So if you have a weak connection with somebody, you're not vibing, it's hard for you to make a point. They ain't going to let you get one in because y'all fighting to, to, to win an argument. Y'all fighting to win a discussion. Y'all fighting to be smarter than the next person. Y'all fighting for too much. The next thing, to get one to listen, you have to practice relationship managing skills. You have to seek the benefit from every relationship. The challenging ones too. Relationships are a product of the quality and depth and time spent interacting with another. So in order to really build a relationship, a true relationship, you really have to improve the quality. You have to, you have to really deep dive in it. You have to really spend time interacting with another. Going back to the cheating, that's probably the biggest thing. When you spend a lot of time with somebody or you spend whatever, whatever, that usually is the knock. It's not the act some, so much. Sometimes it's more so how much effort went into making this possible and or continuing it over time. So imagine you lying to yourself, you lying to this person, you lying to that person, blah, 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 blah. But in the process of all this lying, you're spending time and you're, for, for, it, for what it looked like from an optics perspective, like you're spending a lot of time doing this. That becomes the knock and there's nothing you can really say because at the end of the day, you got to kind of admit like, damn, I spent time building up my lie. I spent time managing the facade. I spent time doing all these other things and that becomes problematic, right? So it's affecting the spiritual connection that you could have with somebody because now you're feeling like the thing that we need to build over time isn't the thing that we're able to build because the time is being divided. The opportunities aren't even available because you're divided to see, think, hear the opportunities for all intents and purposes may not necessarily be true. But however, the optics of it all can lead one to, 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 to come to that understanding. Times of stress are a challenge for relationship management, especially in work relationships when you're dealing with microaggression and passiveness. We talked about financial stressors before and other things. But some of the problems, again, with a spiritual intimacy is stress. I don't like to be dealing with the problems too much. I want to get to the solutions. These are 17 strategies for making a relationship work. Gentlemen, as I say it to you, I say it to me. These are 17 strategies, 17 that we can implement in our relationships, all forms and types of relationships to make them work. First one being this, and it's important to note this before I say it. In every relationship, you play one half of the, you have one half of the responsibility to deepen that connection in a relationship. And that's very, very important. A lot of times we get in a relationship, we think we can compensate for someone else's lack. The way that I structure this podcast or this, whatever you want to call it, I call it a knowledge share more than I call it a podcast. I feel like with information, with knowledge that we have the ability to change our paradigm, we can shift it all the way together. A lot of us make the mistakes we make because we don't have the understanding. The wisdom is just the application of the knowledge. And if you don't have the knowledge, how can you be wise? Sometimes you can have the knowledge, but you're struggling with the application. That's fine. But as long as you have that, the knowledge and the understanding, it can help you because 
you're one step away from making the turn. But if you don't have the knowledge, you two steps away. And that's even harder to turn around that corner because you got to make two rights or two lefts. You feel me? So when I came across this again, I found this very helpful. I think that it's something that we can all implement. I don't care if it's a relationship with your children, relationship with your parents, relationship with your siblings, relationship with your friends, relationship with your woman, relationship with your men. 17 strategies to make your relationship work. And remember, you only have one half of the responsibility. You're only accountable for one half of everything. So you and your person have to understand your mom, your dad, your sibling. Listen, none of this is going to work unless you rocking with me and we both doing the same thing. If you want me to do all the work before you pick up, Listen, we ain't going to get but so far. I'm going to probably burn out trying to make up, trying to complete my 50 and then make up the other difference that you're leaving behind. So before you burn out, understand that you can't do this unless there's mutuality in that understanding. First to first, be open and be curious. Share information about what yourself with others. You have to be curious and you have to be open. When you're known, there's less room for misinterpretation. When we talked about emotional intimacy, that was the biggest thing, being known and being... Being known and knowing, that's the level five of the emotional intimacy. That's the highest rung. Being known, being fully open and vulnerable. When you're known, there's less room for misinterpretation. When I did my old podcast, putting in a podcast, we did an episode and I, I came up with it. I don't know where I've ever got this from. I, I hope that I never borrowed it from somebody else. But I've always had this notion in my, my, my mind that it's your responsibility to make yourself known to the other person. A lot of times people want you to ask the right questions. And I feel like that's so disingenuous. That's so unfair to want someone to ask you the right questions so they can better know you. You know you better than they know you. They don't have a footing. They don't know what's going to offend you, what's not going to offend you, what's real, what's false, what da da da. They don't have any understanding. The only way they're going to get to know you is they're going to ask questions. But you also got to know how much do you want to be known. And if at some point you realize that you don't want to be known, that's why you're not saying something. You're manipulating the situation. You are deliberately putting yourself in a category where you don't want to be known. So you're not helping that other person be successful with you. So every mistake they kind of make, just about, I don't say just about, they're going to make mistakes that are direct correlations to that. So you must be curious. You must be open, right? When you're curious, you're showing interest in others in their story. That means increasing the opportunity to meet one's need through without misinterpretation. So when you are being curious and you are showing interest in others, you are saying, listen, man, I'm trying to remove this margin for error. But in order to do so, you have to do so by asking questions with an inquisitive tone, not a judgmental tone. There's a lot of people who don't know how to be judgmental. Like, oh, that's what you do? Nah, man, like really be open and allow people to be who they really are. You know what I'm saying? We all have the opportunity to correct or self-correct or whatever. But you got to ask with an inquisitive tone, like, I'm really curious. I really want to learn. The next thing you must do, enhance your natural communication style. Understand how you speak and how you communicate is what's going to shape your relationship. How well you communicate. Understand that. Understand what others appreciate about how one communicates as that which one causes confusion, trouble, and weird reactions. Paraphrasing here. As much as you want to understand like, oh, This is what I appreciate about you. I like the way you express your emotions or I like the way you talk. I like the words you use, blah, 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 blah. Also make note of those things which, you know, cause confusion, trouble or anywhere reaction. Remember, public express. Another thing you can do is public express your plans, 
or how you communicate so you'd be held accountable. If you really want to be a successful communicator in terms of enhancing your natural communication style, you can say, hey, listen, I want to do a better job expressing my feelings. I want to use more feeling words, right? So the person you're talking to when you speak in a certain kind of way, especially as a dude, we speak very logic oriented. You might be like, hey, listen, when I speak to you, I'm going to speak very logically, right? It doesn't mean that I don't have feelings or nothing like that, but I may not be using the key feeling words. So I'm going to need your help. So when I'm speaking to you, maybe you may be able to glean from that, maybe some feeling words and validate with me. Like, so are you saying this? Are you feeling this? So I can say that so you could better understand me. Strategy three, avoid giving mixed signals. Feelings express truth. Therefore, people trust what they see over what they hear, which is a very true statement. But just think about that for a second. You could tell somebody what it is, but if you behave in a certain kind of way, they're not going to believe you. They're going to go with it. Technically, they should believe what they see, what they heard, but if they don't want to, they can go with what you say and what you do. Next, confusion will cause communication issues. So anytime you have that confusion, you, could, you know, and those mixed signals are going to cause confusion um, and communication issues. Remember, one should identify their emotions and choose which feelings to express and how. Consider exploring the why. So like sometimes you're not able to share your emotion. You might be at work. I'm pissed off. I'm about to knock this two head off, but you're like, man, I'm at work. I ain't gonna mess up my bag. So you got to figure out, okay, this ain't the time and the form to do so. You might have to set up a one-on-one and have a direct conversation with somebody to see how you can mitigate that relationship. But remember this, this is a big one. Um, Beanie Siegel many years ago had this song. And he was like, the lines in your, the line, the lines in your forehead ain't matching your smile. Uh-uh, y'all niggas foul. God, I can't remember the name of the song. I wish Tony was here. Tony would know the song. It was based off a, a sample anyways. But that's real though. Sometimes when you're talking to people, you can see the expression on their face, even with that handshake and that smile. You're like, oh, that nigga ain't real. That's bullshit. To avoid mix, giving mixed signals, you know, make sure you, you match, you know, your tone, how you saying what you're saying, what your body language. I'm bad with body language. I use my hands a lot. And sometimes I can be demonstrative, my voice could be elevated and things like that. And I'm giving off the wrong signals. I could be good, but sometimes it just feels like, damn, it's good. Readjust as necessary when you discover it. You know, you're not going to do it perfectly. So as you go through it, you might have to readjust how your body language, put your hands in your pocket, do something to kind of make sure that everything matches. Next, remember the little things that pack a punch. The biggest thing about this is manners. Today's please, thank you. I'm those things are out the window. People don't really say that. They just give the statements, you know what I'm saying, direct. They don't even, they're not respectful. They're not, they don't, there's no use of manners, right? So that does affect your relationship. So, you know, try to incorporate more phrases of appreciation in your relationship. Tell your girl, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. I appreciate you today. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for checking on me. I appreciate you. Beyond the I love you, I miss you, I like you. Thank people. Show appreciation. Take feedback well. This is a hard one for everyone. Criticism is usually sent with a, it's a negative tone to that, right? You're communicating something is wrong. Where feedback is me just letting you know what I observe. So feedback is meant to help one improve in ways one cannot see themselves. So look at it like rear view and side view mirrors. If you ask for feedback or someone's like, yo, can I give you some feedback? They're not... They recognize what could be different or what could be better. But most importantly, what they're trying to do is give you something that you can possibly correct. Maybe tell you something you didn't see or notice. Remember, one should always consider the source and listen intently to what is being communicated. So in my relationship, I used to go through this period where I used to be like, we'll have these conversations and I, I think I'm giving feedback 
but maybe the way I'm saying it, maybe it's my body language, maybe it's my tone of voice, whatever. And I would have to stop and be like, yo, remember, it's me. I I ain't a hater. I don't get off on putting people down or bringing somebody down. Like, so understand that and understand that like when I'm saying something to you, I'm trying to put you on the game. If 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 I'm speaking to you on that kind of level and I'm smiling, I'm laughing with you, I'm not mad. Like, don't take it negative because you don't like what I'm saying. The feedback is relevant to something that needs to change. Like you doing that, you're missing the whole point. And now we are being stretched in a whole nother direction when it ain't even about that. Next. Ooh, it's a long one again. Sorry, y'all. But we about to be done. Take your time. There's no rush to take action. Whenever you're getting feedback, don't think you got to make an immediate reaction. And if somebody put that on you, don't allow that. It takes a lot to change. They say it's like 15, 21 days to build a habit. So that alone tells you, you can't rush it. Somebody put something on your heart. You want to change the behavior. You want to change an attitude. Cool. Make your gradual steps to do so, but definitely try. But don't expect yourself to do it overnight. It's not going to happen. But remember, your adjustments show that feedback is value. So whenever you make an adjustment, when you got some feedback, it shows that individual provide that feedback. Y'all value that. Build trust. This is a huge one. Whether we talking about affairs and relationships, da, 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 build trust. So there's this quote. It's an anonymous individual built this quote, but the quote is, trust is as a peculiar resource. It is built rather than depleted by use. Oftentimes in relationships, we say somebody violated or betrayed my trust. And the truth is that y'all, had a, y'all, y'all don't have enough time. I'm going to say y'all don't have. You got to evaluate the time. And did that person really truly build up a trust over time? Or did you, were you just very hopeful and they just kind of dashed your hopes? They disheartened you. But trust is something that is built over time. The biggest thing about trust is that it takes time to build and can be lost immediately. I think I've experienced that most recently too, where you, you was moving in a certain way, doing the right things, moving this kind of, and then you make one decision or you do something or you behave in a way that's inconsistent and deviates from the overarching part. And when you deal with it, you got to like reconcile, damn. Everything that I've, I've va- invalidated and nullified everything that I did before. I can't even use those as my key points or my high points. And we want to sometimes. We want to. We want to be like, but for three years or two years or last the whole month, you know, I ain't do this. And then you, but you did it though. So it nullifies everything from before. So you got to remember that about trust. It's very, very fickle. Very, very sensitive things. Very fragile, I think is the best way to put. And it takes a long time to build. It takes a lot. So be very mindful of that. And very mindful of the fact it's the most important and most difficult objective. It's really hard, but it's, and it's very important. It's critical to deepening a relationship with others. If you don't have trust, it's really going to be hard for someone to be vulnerable with you and vice versa. But remember, trust is built through open communication. So you have to be transparent and vulnerable and consistency. So you have to be verbal in your consistency. You have to be consistent in your behavior and you have to be consistent in your reliability. One must be willing and proactive to lay something on the line or take that risk. So when you trust, when you want to, when you're working on trust and you're trying to establish that, please remember you're going to have to risk something. You're going to have to do something that you don't do conventionally. To make it very, very clear that this is what you're trying to build. Um, I thought this was very profound. This is strategy number seven, have an open door policy. I got friends of mine who can have certain conversations that I'm like, oof, I wish. I can't even talk like that. Like that ain't going to work for me. 
make a long story short, you got to have to open the valve. You got to create a policy of open door with you and your relationship. When you do that, one is going to feel validated, respected, because you're intentionally allocating time to them and you're allowing them to come to you. And just remember not don't stifle or ignore. Doing so definitely increase your relationship. Stick to the policy. Understand that one cannot and does not need to be present for everyone at any time. That's the biggest thing about this open door policy. You could be an open book, friend to every, friend to the end to a bunch of different people, but just understand you can't be there for everyone every time. You got you got you. You got to remember that. So eight, and this is where I was going to go with the, with the statement I just made, is only get mad on purpose. Some people, they love their anger. They relish in it. They use it to tear people down. They'll scorch the earth when they tight, but only get mad on purpose. And the reason why is because anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. Credit that to Aristotle. So don't stifle or suppress that anger. So when you are angry, it's okay to be angry. It's a real emotion. Don't stifle it. Don't suppress it. It's only going to manifest itself another way. However, be very mindful. This goes back to the self-management or self-awareness piece. Understand those feelings. Understand where it came from. When you do, you won't have to suppress it because you're comfortable with those negative thoughts and feelings. Also remember this. Too much anger expressed can desensitize somebody. <laughs> I'm thinking about somebody in particular right now. Like the person always yelling, always doing shit. And everybody around just like, oh, here they go again. Like they mad again or they yelling again. So if you want to be taken seriously, you know, you got to manage that component because when you show it will express that being that 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 I'm upset ain't going to resonate. Don't avoid the inevitable. Do not avoid a situation. This is the hard part. The inevitable is the inevitable. You know what you're dealing with in a relationship. You know what you're dealing with. So don't avoid the inevitable. Don't avoid a situation. Instead, make the decision to move forward. Always pay attention to emotions of others and decide how to manage your emotions or manage emotions. Come to an agreement if you can. And in that agreement, you have to learn, you have to observe, and you have to you know, share your preferences, communicate your standards. Next, always acknowledge mutual accomplishment. Y'all had a great conversation that you got to thank a person, man. I know this is a hard conversation, but thank you for having this conversation with me. I learned something from you today, I'm ha- or I'm happy that we share. Um, you have to compliment the person's emotions or situation. I'm a believer that relationships are not supplementary, they're complementary. There's a lot of people who believe it needs to be supplementary. What can you do for me? You bring this to the table. You got to pay my bills, whatever. It's very supplementary. That's what we hear a lot of times. But complementary means being what you need. Not always what you want, but just being what you need. And the only way you can do that to complement a person's emotions or actions, right? Or a situation. You have to listen. You have to be present. And you have to superimpose or empathize and identify the position of others and choose a complementary response. A complimentary response recognizes and validates the other's feelings as important. I know how you feel. I see where you at, blah, blah, blah. Cool. You want to talk? We can talk. You can probably empathize and say, if it was shoes on the foot, how would I feel? Or what would I need? Or blah, blah, blah. So to a degree, sometimes you got to empathize, superimpose yourself. But be you got to listen. You got to be present. The next thing, this is 12 now. We almost there. When you care, show it. It doesn't have to be a grandiose gesture. The small, simple stuff can work too. It could be a card. It could be 
a one singular flower. It could be an edible arrangement. You could do something big. Um, explain your decisions. Don't just make them. I'm I'm a guilty of this. I've I've break I've broken up in relationships and I just like I just did it and bounced. Like I can't do this no more. Boom. And for the life of me, years later, I, I I'll hear like, oh, you just did this, or you, and I'm like, nah, I wasn't even on that level. I was going through this, da, 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 and like, I ain't trying to really hear that. The way you did this was cold, but it really wasn't that. It was really me just saying, all right, let me fall back so that we don't run into any more problems or whatever. And if I would have taken the time to really explain that and set my exit and my departure, probably would been better than they are than they are right now. Like, it is what it is, but. Explain your decisions, don't just make them. One needs to understand why a decision was made for full support. So explain the why and the alternative. Like I could have did this, I could have did that, but this is what I chose. Acknowledge the importance of a decision or the, I'm going to say not only the importance, but the impact of that decision. If you know that like, okay, if I make this decision, X, Y, and Z is going to be affected by it and acknowledging who's going to be impacted, it, it impacted, it can change how you go about it. But most importantly, understand just you just don't make them to make them you got to communicate them so when you communicate you're like i can't do this anymore we gotta make sure this is straight transparency and openness promotes trust respect and connection especially if provided prior to a decision being made right so if you know something's looming and you do you do put your best before you straight make your feedback direct and constructive one should identify feelings associated with feedback one should decide what um, they'll do with information provided Consider the source of your feedback always. When you get feedback, who, who's talking to me? Am I talking to the resident hater or I'm talking to the person that love me that doesn't want to see nothing bad happen to me and is giving me a hard truth? Like, what, who am I talking to? Consider the source of the feedback. Uh, remember, feedback is only meant to address the problem, not the individual. So whenever you get a feedback, they're really only talking about the problem or they should. Not necessarily you per se. I mean, you can you be the problem? Absolutely. But for the most part, feedback isn't because you're the problem. Some constructive feedback involves the sharing and opinions and offering solutions. So think about key phrases like, I think I believe in this time. Always ask for others' thoughts regarding feedback and think the others, their feedback. 15, align your intention with the impact. So if you know this is the impact, put your intentions with it too. One should think before speaking or acting, then provide a sensitive and appropriate response. One should always attempt to look for a mismatch in their intentions and actions. These are some of those things for 15, 16, offer a fix-it statement. I think this is very cool too. Doing a broken conversation. Never heard this term broken conversation before until I kind of gleaned from it that it's like when those cyclical conversations where after a while you're like, what are we talking about? Or most importantly, the broken conversation can lead to when you know past mistakes. Oh, when you did this or when you, when you, when you start getting that, when you, when you, when you, you're holding on to some, oh, definitely think about that because, you know, things from the past can, it can lead to things resurfacing, definitely lead to regret. Refrain or let go of blame and focus on the repair. Another big thing. A lot of times people be so quick to blame and just want to focus on blame. It's like, let's get away from the blame. The problem is already the problem. Let's focus on fixing it, repairing, whatever, so that we're not dealing with this. Choose the high road. You know what I'm saying? Always choose the high road. Next thing you know, you know, it helps maintain a bunch of different things. But fixed statements. The biggest thing about fixed statements is this. They're neutral in tone and they find common ground. A fixed statement aims to repair a conversation that's been broken. It helps maintain a line of communication. 
The last thing is to tackle a tough conversation. When you're tackling a tough conversation, you're you're looking at the inevitable because tough conversations are the inevitable. There's no way around it. Every relationship is going to get into a tough conversation. So you have to deal with it one way or another, right? So deal with that piece. Next, always prepare to take the high road. It's so easy in tough conversations to go low and just try to ding and don't, don't do that. Focus on the high road, right? Don't be defensive. Remain open-minded. Start with an agreement. Express your shared common ground. Attempt to create a feeling of agreement. Ask for help. So you can understand a point, a person's point of view. Focus on understanding, not agreement. Resist the urge to plan a comeback. That's the big thing. A lot of times people are just so focus on, I'm going to get you because you got me. Nah, I ain't worth it. Attempt to keep from doing that. Ask for help to understand one's point of view. Focus on understanding, not agreement. Resist the urge to plan a comeback. You have to resist the urge to plan a comeback or any type of rebuttal. The human brain cannot listen, right? Cannot listen well and prepare to speak simultaneously. You have to silence that inner voice and focus on the individual. Help the other person understand your perspective and your side too. Describe your discomfort, your thoughts, your ideas, your rationale. Speak clearly and simply. Refrain from the coded speech and speaking in circles. Move the conversation forward. Always remember that in these tough conversations, you got to keep it pushing forward. It's easy to get stuck and bogged down on those difficult points. So constantly move it forward. After understanding, regardless of agreement or disagreement, move the conversation along and seek that common ground. And lastly, keep in touch. After every tough conversation, it's not necessarily over after that conversation has ended. You got to keep doing check-ins about the resolution. Keep checking in frequently and see if you're really good at that resolution is reached. Remember that you're always one half of a relationship, therefore always partly responsible for the operational, the functionality of a relationship. It's a long one again. Where are we at right now? Wow. Two. If you're still with me, hanging in there, I appreciate you. As I said before, you know, this is... For the man at work, for those that benefit from this, from those that are gleaning something from this, this is big. But spiritual intimacy is another level. It's another layer in this intimacy will that every relationship needs to understand, implement, hone in on, magnify, increase, improve. You you get the adjective and you figure out, you insert it. Said a lot of very, very important things today. I learned a lot during this episode. I learned a lot just doing the research, seen a lot that deals with myself personally, the mistakes I've made, the short-sightedness, the foolishness, the lack of wisdom that I've displayed in my life. And some of it just comes from just not knowing any better. Some of it comes from knowing better, but not knowing this, not having all of this information. So therefore, I hope that you glean some from it. As I said before, Relationship management will be very, very critical, but understanding your self-awareness skill and the personal competency um, of emotional intelligence is very, very critical and vital to even being able to be at a point to be able to hone the relationship management skill. For everyone and anyone that's in a relationship, I hope you got something from this that you can take away and put into yours. I certainly will do it in mine. With that being said, I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, episode eight of the putting, I was about to say my old podcast name, <laughs> oh, Unsolicited with George D. I really, really thank you for listening. I um, definitely, I want that feedback, uh, whether you go on the gram, Unsolicited with George D, whether you go on the website, Unsolicited with George D.com, whether you send me an email, Unsolicited with G at gmail.com. Definitely give me some feedback and let me know how this information is panning out for you. There's a lot of video that's going to be coming out soon. 
lot of videos will be coming out soon. But for right now, just a conversation and we build in here. So I appreciate you for being in this construction zone, for putting your hard hat on, pause, and just rocking with us. So shout out to you and shout out to everybody who's listening. I appreciate you. Good luck. Yeah.